Christ Church, New Malden. Sunday the 11th of September 2022, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking on what we can learn from the Christian faith of Queen Elizabeth II. Well, however much we knew that this day would one day come, it has been quite a shock, hasn't it? Quite a shock to say such a sudden farewell to someone who has been such a fixture through most of our lives. The death of Queen Elizabeth II, after a simply extraordinary 70 years and 214 days on the throne, brings to an end what some are already calling the Second Elizabethan Age. A time when enormous change in this country has been accompanied by the continuity of the same monarch reigning throughout that time. So just 25 years old, when she suddenly and unexpectedly succeeded her father, King George VI, after his death in February 1952, and 96, when her long period of service, faithful service, came to an end on Thursday. Most of us here never met Queen Elizabeth II. There's one or two of you who I think did. Most of us didn't. But that doesn't mean that we who didn't meet her didn't feel that we knew her. And it doesn't mean that it's strange or illogical to feel a sense of loss. Why? Because leaders of a country at their best represent their people, the people they rule over. And part of the price that we pay when someone does that particularly well is the strong sense of loss and indeed destabilization that we can then feel when they depart. Lots of fantastic tributes have been paid to our former Queen over the last few days, coming from lots of different angles. So lots of people have singled out her particular devotion to duty. But there have also been stories about her sense of humour, hasn't there? There's been a lot about her love of horses and racing, and also some of the things that we were never allowed to see, such as her gift as a mimic, I'd love to have seen some of the impressions that Queen Elizabeth II could apparently do, but will never be allowed to, I don't think. But this morning, I want to talk about a vital part of Queen Elizabeth's character, a part that really ran through everything else about her, and that was her Christian faith. Queen Elizabeth, if anything, got bolder as she got older, in the way that she expressed her faith, particularly in her Christmas Day broadcasts. And what that means is that we've been left with loads of quotes of what her Christian faith meant to her and how it related in particular to the role that she had been given. And although our roles in our lives are, generally speaking, very different, it is a chance this morning to learn from our recently departed Queen about how we can live more faithfully for God in our everyday lives. There are several things that I want to single out or take uh, this morning from Elizabeth II's life and her Christian faith. But perhaps the most obvious was this. She believed that she was responsible to God. This was at the core of who she was, and it is what strengthened and sustained her. 
So it was in June 1953 that the Queen's coronation took place, wasn't it? More than a year after she succeeded her father following his death in February 1952. Now, you probably know already that that event was the stimulus for a lot of people to go out and buy their first television sets. And 27 million people watched on TV and a further 11 million listened on the radio to her coronation. And those who were watching those crackly black and white screens, as well as seeing Elizabeth II being crowned, were able to see a lot of symbolism that was very significant. So what they were able to see was the orb, that thing that's there on the left, mounted with a cross. Why? To symbolize the rule of Jesus Christ over the earth. But there was another moment in the coronation service which was considered too sacred to televise. And that was where all the symbols of the Queen's status were removed, the velvet robe, the diamond diadem, and the coronation necklace. They were all taken away, and she wore a simple white dress. And it was at that moment in the ceremony that the Archbishop of Canterbury, Geoffrey Fisher, anointed her with holy oil. And it was poured on to her hands, onto her chest, and on to her head. Why? To show that she was being set apart to serve and love her people with all of her actions and with her heart and with her mind. And the Queen later said on more than one occasion that it was this moment more than any other which was of supreme importance to her. Indeed, the most solemn and important moment in her entire life. God, as she saw it, was giving her a responsibility for his people and making her directly accountable to him. And that's a belief that the Bible strongly underpins. Because the truth is that the Bible is less interested in the process by which people come to power than what they do with that power once they have it. And that's because the Bible declares that all authority is delegated by God himself, making its bearers directly responsible to him. Now, some might regard those sort of beliefs as rather dangerous, rather too close to believing in the divine right of kings. But the truth is that belief in an accountability to God himself is the surest protection against the abuse of power. And although she was a constitutional monarch, obviously, rather than an absolute one, it's that sense, that constant sense of accountability to God that I believe resulted in the wisdom and the care and the commitment that the Queen has put into her role over the last 70 years. Now, plenty of other monarchs, I hasten to add, have gone through that same ceremony without it having the same impact and the difference that it made upon her. But the difference, I suggest, is because the Queen reflected very deeply on the significance of those vows that she had taken before God himself. And of course, the challenge here to us is to do something similar with our own lives. 
Because the truth is that every single one of us here has been given responsibility by God. We may not have been anointed with holy oil like Her Majesty was, but those of us who are parents, or grandparents for instance, have been given a sacred responsibility for the care of our children. Those of us in work and in plenty of other areas of our lives, we've been given something very similar, a sacred responsibility from God. God has given us the roles that we have. And if we can learn to see them in a similar way to the way that the Queen saw her responsibilities, then the truth is that we'll discharge those responsibilities we have wherever they lie much more faithfully, much better. So that's one thing that I believe we can learn from the Queen's Christian faith. But another, close upon it, is this. She was sustained by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Those photos we saw earlier from the coronation can make the Queen's Christian faith look rather formal, something that perhaps she just had to take on publicly because of being Supreme Governor of the Church of England and so on. But when we listen to the words that she spoke about her Christian faith, particularly, though not exclusively, in her Christmas speech each year, we know that the Queen's faith was intensely personal. So just look at these words that she spoke in 2002. She said this, I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try and do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. It's very clear from this and the frequent references that the Queen made to the inspiration that she drew from Jesus Christ that her Christian faith was very personal, far from just being formal and something that she had to take on because of her role. And it actually seems that her Christian faith was formed at a very early stage in her life. And the evidence for this, or part of the evidence, is what happened when she was 13. When she was 13, that's what she looked like. And her father, King George VI, who of course hugely struggled with confidence, had suddenly found himself in a role he never expected to have to take on, and then the Second World War comes along and even more is demanded of him. When King George VI, when the Queen's father was going to make his very first Christmas Day broadcast of the war in December 1939 and was looking for something that he could speak to a nation that knew that devastation and loss was ahead of them, it was the then 13-year-old Princess Elizabeth who suggested to her father what he should read. And she suggested that he read a Christian poem written by Minnie Louise Haskins. It's become very famous now, but it wasn't at the time. And it said the following. Here are the words. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God 
that shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. And it's further evidence, isn't it, of the personal faith that sustained the Queen. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that she was perfect. We mustn't deify her today. There were plenty of things that she struggled with, some of which we saw, many things of which we probably didn't. But faults go with being a real human being, don't they? And perhaps it was her realisation of her weaknesses that was part of what enabled Queen Elizabeth II to develop such a conscious dependence upon God in her daily life. There was a real humility about her faith, wasn't there? And that leads on to another strong aspect of her Christian faith, which was this. She was clear about the centrality to Christianity of forgiveness. And that particular photograph perhaps sums it up more than any other. That's her meeting the former IRA leader, Martin McGuinness. Although the Queen spoke a lot about the example of Jesus, she was also clear that this was only because he was also a saviour or rescuer who had won us forgiveness. So in 2011, this is what she said about Jesus. Although we're capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we ourselves need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. She knew that she depended on God's forgiveness, but crucially, she understood that having been forgiven, followers of Jesus Christ are then meant to forgive others. And this has been a constant and major emphasis within her Christmas addresses down the years. And following on from those words that we've just seen about God's forgiveness, in 2011, she then added these words. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It's in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. And reconciliation is something that, inspired by this belief in forgiveness, the Queen worked really hard for during her reign. Particularly in Northern Ireland, that meeting with Martin McGuinness and that readiness to shake his hand and genuinely smile in a way that showed that she believed in what was taking place, that would have taken a huge amount. But it isn't the only other example. She was the first British monarch since the Reformation to meet with the Pope. And rather than her Christian faith leading to the exclusion of people of other faiths, it led her to seek to treat them with an equal respect and an equal dignity. How did she marry those two things together? Well, she explained in 2012. These were her words. The concept of our established church is occasionally misunderstood, and I believe commonly underappreciated. Its role is not to defend Anglicanism to the exclusion of other religions. Instead, the church has a duty to protect the free practice of all faiths in this country. It certainly provides an identity and spiritual dimension, 
for its own many adherents, but also gently and assuredly, the Church of England has created an environment for other faith communities and indeed people of no faith to live freely. And establishing that sort of unity, that sort of reconciliation, Elizabeth II believed starts with small acts of forgiveness and small acts of reconciliation for which her inspiration was God sending Jesus. So back in 1976, in her Christmas message, she said this, The gift I would value, most value, next year, is that reconciliation should be found wherever it's needed. A reconciliation that will bring peace and security to families and neighbours at present suffering and torn apart. Remember that good spreads outwards, and every little does help. Mighty things from small beginnings grow, as indeed they grew from the small child of Bethlehem. It's powerful, isn't it? Small acts of kindness, small acts of love, small acts of reconciliation. They grow into mighty things. And this links to another emphasis that the Queen made throughout her reign, and again, one directly inspired by her Christian faith, namely this. She was clear about the centrality to Christianity of self-giving love. Caring for one's neighbour has been a recurring theme in her Christmas broadcasts. Time and again, she praises and singles out ordinary people who do this, and she encouraged us year upon year to do it further. This is what she said in her Christmas message in 1975 of Jesus. His simple message of love has been turning the world upside down ever since. He showed that what people are and what they do does matter and does make a difference. It does matter, therefore, what each individual does every day. Kindness, sympathy, resolution and courteous behaviour are infectious. We may feel powerless alone, but the joint efforts of individuals can defeat the evils of our time. And ten years later, in 1985, the Queen made much the same point, but this time by backing it up by reference to the parable, Jesus' parable, of the Good Samaritan. This is what she said. The story of the Good Samaritan reminds us of our duty to our neighbour. We should try to follow Christ's clear instruction at the end of the story. Go and do thou likewise. But as well as encouraging this and others, the Queen sought to model it in her own life as well, didn't she? She faced actually a great deal of hardship, not least the fragility of her father and his early death, losing her mother and her sister in the same year, the breakdown of most of her children's marriages, and then of course the loss of her husband of 73 years, Prince Philip. And like many older people, she probably found the change in our society on some occasions really difficult to cope with. She had 15 prime ministers meeting every single one of them, except the latest one, once a week, and dealing with those official red boxes every single day of the year, believe it or not, except two days, Christmas Day 
and Easter Day. She gave herself those two days off. Other than that, she dealt with those red boxes every single day of the year. Until relatively recently, she was still working a 40-hour week. And that didn't include her own feeding of all of those corgis. She was a human being with strengths and weaknesses like anyone else. But she was someone who was very clearly, very self-evidently, sustained by a supernatural power from God himself. But the crucial thing is this. The Christian faith that she lived by proclaimed that that power is not exclusive. It's not just there for people who've been anointed with holy oil, as she was back in June 1953. That power is there for every single one of us in the responsibilities and duties of our lives. So as we mourn the death of Queen Elizabeth II, and as we thank God for her extraordinary service to this country, it's a good reminder this morning that God wants all of us to recognize our responsibility before him and to recognize the personal relationship with Jesus that can sustain us to show the forgiveness and the love that exists at the heart of the Christian faith. I've quoted Queen Elizabeth II so much that she's really been our preacher this morning, hasn't she? And wherever we're coming from this morning, some of us may lean towards republicanism or be ardent monarchists or whatever, or somewhere in between the two. Wherever we're coming from politically this morning, we can all, I believe, give thanks for someone who did her very best to express her Christian faith through the role that she had been given. So Queen Elizabeth II, 1926 to 2022. May she rest in peace and rise in glory. And of course, God save the King.